Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin here, as always, with Steve Prudian. And today we are finishing Job. But interestingly enough, I don't think that's really the end. I think it's really just the beginning for us. But Steve, before we get into that, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great this week. Very good. Very good. Um, so we have been, we skipped, we spent a lot of time in the first part. We went through the first challenge of each of Job's friends. Mm-hmm. We skipped all the repeat stuff. Because basically it is rehashing the same thing that they accused them with in the first place. Right. Right. Um, so we didn't stick around for lashings number four through 39. We just, uh, mm-hmm. we just skipped right ahead to the last one. And um, then we get to the point where God is addressing Job. Yes, he is. And God's kind of telling Job what it is. He's saying, were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Can you stand in front of the behemoth? Can you tame the Leviathan? And, of course, Job is speechless and even realizes his own foolishness and covers his mouth to keep any more utterances from escaping. And so now we're to the end. God is done with, uh, with his speech to Job. And we're in chapter 42. What are we looking at at chapter 42? The thing we're looking at is, is we're looking for the restoration of Job. Yes. The vindication of Job. But what's interesting is, is in looking at the vindication and the restoration of Job, we find that Job is another picture and probably the most important picture of who Jesus Christ is. Yep. Yes, we do. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read Job's reply here. It's fine. Because I like... I like the humility in it. Okay. And I think that's good for us all to experience this humility every so often. And so Job's reply to the Lord, he says, I know that you can do anyone, anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. But I had only heard about you before. Now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So here, in all of everything, God's complaint to Job isn't that Job is ignorant, but that Job was speaking about things in that ignorance. 
So it would it would be like somebody who's completely ignorant of how electricity works trying to explain how electricity works to somebody as though work. as though they knew. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So that's that's Job's sin. So the devil lost. Ultimately. The devil lost because all Job did was express was express something of which he is ignorant. Well, there's a progression that I think that any of us would fall into. Oh, certainly. That uh, Job started out strong, defending his position with God. Yep. And then he got beat up by everybody. Yes, he did. And um, he got sick, and he wasn't exactly getting the best type of medical care or nutrition. Right. So subsequently, um, based upon a lot of his comments, uh, mentally he was spent. Right. So Job kind of developed a fatalistic attitude or a negative attitude. As far as he was concerned, it would be better if he was dead than alive. Right, which we see in part of his original speech in chapter 3, I think it was. But the thing is, is, is that um, if those same things happen to us, mm-hmm. I think that we would become a little depressed as well. Oh, I think so. I don't see Job giving up on the identity and the authority of who God is. No. Okay. He's just basically saying he's done. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get to the point in life where they say they're done because it's just too much for them mentally and emotionally to handle, and they're just plain tired. Right. Uh, because of that, we did see that um, Job, in his tiredness, he had an attitudinal shift. Yes, he did. And the thing was is, is, is that um, God was recognizing that um, Job was still getting beaten up by the devil. Now mm-hmm. he's getting beaten up by his friends. Right. Which is really the friends became the instruments of Satan. Yeah, in a way, yes. Okay. So when Job had his attitudinal shift, Mm -hmm. God needed to wake Job up, shake him up, and call out the fact that, you know what, Job, you're not thinking right. Right. And God used compare and contrast with Job, and that woke him up. Right. Because ultimately what God was doing is he was showing the magnificence, the creative power, the knowledge that God has in Job knew that there was no comparison. It brought him down to realizing that he was one of those things that God had mentioned that God created. Mm-hmm. So right. this is where we stand right now. But what's interesting is is, is, is that God shifted his anger. His anger was never really on Job, but he sh- God shifted his anger towards Job's supposedly friends. Right. 
And, right. you know, and you know what he accused his friends of, don't you? What does he accuse the friends of? Making false statements, slandering God himself. And God says that is worthy of death. You know, and what's what's really interesting to me about that, and it's something that um, came on came across my radar here not too long ago, and something that I've been spending some time in prayer and meditation is the idea of the commandment: "You shall not um, bear my name in vain." Right? Don't take my name in vain. Don't bear my name in vain. And a, a lot of us, myself included, were raised to understand that a certain way. And that's more the misuse of God's name or cursing or vulgar language or all those kinds of things. That's how I was raised to understand it. And this, this different perspective offers a bit of a paradigm shift. And it's not, it's not about necessarily what comes out of our mouth, but it's that claiming God and then misrepresenting him. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words, but it's that, it's being that unchristlike Christian would be bearing God's name in vain. And that's what Job's friends are doing. They're ungodly. They, they are ungodly, but they are they are claiming to know God. And then they are not acting like God. They are not representing him very well at all in their accusations of Job. And that is why I think that God says your your actions are worthy of death. Because they have borne his name in vain. They have essentially, through their actions and through their deeds, taken, a, taken a God's name upon themselves and slandered it. You know, we um, talk about Christians. Yes. And we talk about that um, there's many different types of Christians. There are, yep. However, the distinction is this. Many people know about God. Right. But true Christianity believes in God. Correct. So it's a matter of not knowing, it's a matter of believing. Right. I found that it was interesting that in Job, I can't even imagine the scenario. I'd love to see the scenario, the picture of how this happened. God actually speaks directly to Job's friends. Yep. And he gives them, he tells them what he thinks. Mm -hmm. And then he gives them an order, which is going to be very costly. Yes, it is. So the thing is, is there's a price that has to be paid for their, first of all, their accusations about Job, and then their insults about yep. the integrity of God. Yes. So... I find it interesting that we know that God speaks to Job and Job speaks to God. Right. But by what authority did the friends ever speak of God to Job? They had none. They no had righteous none. no righteous authority. No righteous they had, authority. They had their own their own uh let's say prideful, arrogant, pompous authority. But do we see that in right. the church? 
Do we see that amongst people in the church? We do sometimes, who, yeah. Who know about God. Right. But so with their knowing about God, they try to use God. They try to inflict God upon other people. Yep. But are they any different than Job's friends? No. 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 But God didn't appreciate being used like that. No, he didn't then and he doesn't now. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting that the one that's being crucified is the one who has to ask for the forgiveness of those that are inflicting harm upon him. Mm -hmm. He has to ask his father to forgive them. Yes, he does. We have the same father. Yes, we do. So what is the example for us? The example for us is we need to forgive, and we need to pray for their forgiveness. In spite of? In spite of? What they've said and how they've treated us. Yep. And then what? What happens after that? What happens if you follow God's will? If you follow God's will, we pray for their forgiveness, and God forgives us as well. I find it interesting that at the end of life, mm -hmm. that within the Christian faith, right, we talk about rewards, mm -hmm. but we also talk about punishment. We do. I would like to think that um, our life leans more towards the reward side, not because of what we've done, but because of the faith in Jesus Christ that we've put in him. Right. But if you're really putting your faith in Jesus Christ and not necessarily within a religious system, then you're going to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Right. In the major teaching of Jesus Christ is what? There's two things. Love God, love people. Right. Love God, love people. Yep. And the thing is, is, is that it's interesting that that's the priority. That's the order. Yep. God first, people second. Yep. Well, and in, the, and in terms of forgiveness, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray, forgive us as we forgive Mm-hmm. So forgive me as I forgive them. So is that a condition or is that an order? Honestly, I think it's a reminder to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of ways, prayer is for us. And if I'm praying those words to God... There have been times that I've been convicted. Forgive me as I forgive somebody else. And the Spirit will tell me, you need to forgive this person. And what is you, if you, if you, you say you want to be forgiven as you forgive. Well, I'm here to tell you, you haven't forgiven. Yeah, and what does James say? Drop everything you do. Drop everything you're doing. Right. Go make it right. Yeah. Okay. Go forgive the person that's offended you and before you can come and seek forgiveness. Right. Right. 
And so, and so Job, at this point, after he speaks to God, he's repented. You know, he even says, you know, I take it back everything. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Then God turns to talk to the friends. And boy, does he give them a steep price. He says... Yeah, real steep price. Really steep price. Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. That's a pretty steep price. Yeah, it was. Seven for the number of completion. Of course. Seven sheep. Yep. Seven piece, seven cattle. Yep. I don't know what God was thinking. I know the significance of the sheep. I don't know the significance of the cattle. I don't either. I really don't. But I do know. But specifically, specifically bulls. So not only are they sacrificing the bull, but they're sacrificing every calf that bull could produce. Right. Exactly. But so you know, that's, the Bible that's quite says... A, that's quite a costly sacrifice. But what's interesting is, is the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Right. So apparently God must have found these fellows pretty sinful because of the amount of blood that he was requiring. Mm-hmm. Yep. But was it the sacrifice or was it the prayer of forgiveness? It's both. It's both. It's both. Because, because the sacrifice is the obedience. I they, find they it, ha yeah, go ahead. I, I found it interesting. It's it was two pots. Did you realize that? Mm-hmm. You guys, you guys, okay, mm -hmm. you guys pay and provide for the sacrifice. Right. Okay? And you, Job, okay, you stand as the priest asking for forgiveness. Right. Even though it's undeserved. Mm -hmm. But if they're willing to pay that steep price, you go ahead and do your part. Right. Now, up to that point in time, this point in time, was there any mention that life was going to be better for Job? Up to this point in time, did Job know anything was going to get any better? No. Every, no. Everything was the same. No promises have been made. There is absolutely nothing. It is simply, I stand corrected. I'm sorry, God. I'm going to go sit in my corner. So Job did it out of obedience. Yes. He didn't do it because he knew that he was going to get something I'm for gonna, it. I'm going to disagree. What? Job's friends did it out of obedience. Job did it because he loves God. Okay. But that was, wasn't by doing it, showing he was obedient to God? I wouldn't disagree with that. It, he was being obedient. But he wasn't being obedient for the sake of being obedient. He was being obedient because of his love for God. Okay. And because of that relationship. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. You know, it's a, the, 
The other three guys, they've been told they deserve death. And mm -hmm. if they don't do this, basically they're going to die, right? We can read in between the lines and we can see that you deserve to die. But if you do this, I'll accept Job's prayer. Look, if God stopped me on the street and I heard an audible voice, mm -hmm. I think you'd get my attention. Oh, I certainly think you would. Okay. I think, I think that the power of God's voice from what we've seen about in other instances in the Bible, when God speaks, you can't help but hear. You'd have to hear. Okay, yep. you have to hear. Now, usually when he speaks, he speaks because he has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Right. And usually that purpose is pretty much comes with an instruction. Yes. So in this particular case, his friends were talking about God when they knew, did not really know the true God. Right. But there is one thing that they did know. They know who holds their life in his hand. They do. They know that. Yep. And when a voice comes out of the whirlwind... They're going to listen. They're going to listen. How many of us really know the value of him holding our life in his hand? I would say very few, if any of us. So there's no value if you don't know. If you don't know, then you can't really appreciate that value. Yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from on that. Um, I think that uh, whatever value I might think there is is grossly underestimated. It probably I is can't, grossly. That's that's the, <laughs> that's where my response is coming from. Whatever value that we might place on it that pales in comparison to the actual value that that there is for God holding us in the palm of his hand. Being that we're temporal beings, we think in temporary values. Right. Being that God is an eternal being, he thinks about our eternal value. Sure he does. And the thing is, 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 is that we can't count that high. No. But God can. Well, here's another, here's another brain twister for you. When it comes to eternity, if there's no beginning and no end, where do you even start counting? You start counting. There is a place you start counting. Where is that? You start counting when you've become a thought to God. Okay? When you're just a thought to God, that's when you start counting. All right. And... How many eons is that before? There is no counting of time as far as right. we can count time because God says... There you go. He says, <laughs> I don't count time the way you tell count time. Right. Now we're on the same track because right. he says a thousand years is as of a day and a day is as a thousand years. Because God exists outside of time. And, he and, is and, and atemporal. That, and, and that basically is humoring us. Yep. Because 
we know what a year is. Yes, we do. But a year is nothing. Yep. Not even a twinkle of the eye to God. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is very true. All right, so... So back to this. We, we forgive. We pray for others. We seek our own forgiveness. God blesses us. He restores us. How do we get there? What's the vehicle? How do we get there? How do we get to that point where we're willing to forgive and pray for others? It's not easy. I think we have to come to an awareness that we're sinners ourselves. Right. And that we cannot forgive ourselves. Right. That we stand in need of forgiveness. Yeah, it requires a humility. And the thing is, is, is that aren't you glad that is the mystery has been revealed? Yes. Of why Jesus came and what he's done for us. Mm -hmm. Because we could be like Job's friends, thinking we know about God, but missing him completely. Right. Oh, but you're how many, absolutely right. But how many people approach life as a religious study and not a relationship? Too many. Too many. Too many. There is... There is something that uh, that we know of in the Christian community known as the head-heart disconnect, mm -hmm. and that's I know it in my heart, in my head. I know it in my head. I've read the words. I know who God is. I understand this, but there's a disconnection between my head and my heart, and a lot of times what that leads to is I tried to do right by the book under my own power instead, your, your, instead your of surrendering. Your own understanding. My own understanding, my own power, instead of surrendering my understanding, surrendering my ability and my power to God so that he can do through me what he has promised to do. Because if I surrender it to God, then God does it through me. If I don't surrender it through God, the best I can come up with is a really poor example and Paul of what it said could filthy be. rags. Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Yep. That's the best you could do. That's that is the best that you can do. I'm gonna throw a statement out at you. All right, hit me. Religion is the best ally of Satan. I don't know if it's I, I wouldn't say that. Okay, what would I you would, say? I would, I would disagree. I would say that... Um, how am I going to say this? How am I going to word it? We could change... We can reword what I just said to you to make it more palatable. No, it's not about it's not about palatable. It's about accurate. I don't think religion is the best ally. How about how about a ally? An ally. I would say it can become an ally. I would say religion can become an ally. If you talk to a person who is well, you we what what they think is that that they're religiously 
equated because of their religion they have basically found acceptance with God and you try to talk to them about Jesus Christ and they'll acknowledge that there is a Jesus Christ mm-hmm. but then you talk to them about what it, what it, what Jesus has done and what they need to do in order to be able to receive Jesus as a savior but yet they feel that their religion is enough what happened well the, this is this is how I look at it and how I how I try to explain it to people, right? Um, because when we talk about choosing choosing Jesus, right? We are choosing that narrow path. He gave us that example. You know, why does the why does the path, why does the gate and straight is the way that leads to hell that leads to death, mm-hmm. right? But narrow is the gate and rocky the way. That leads to salvation, right? Once we go through that gate, we've gone through that gate. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a path. It's a difficult path. Okay, and the way I imagine, I explain it, and granted, I'm I'm reading between the lines here. Okay, so this is this is my own my own view on it, my own picture in my head that I conjure. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm I'm telling you that I'm stepping out of the actual words of Jesus and imagining this in my own way, right? And it and it comes from kind of comes from the Pilgrim's Progress, if you'll allow me that. Okay. Um, the gate is narrow, and the way is rocky, and there's a ditch on either side. On one side, you've got a ditch called legalism. And on one side, you have a ditch called hyper grace. And I think religion can lead us to one of those two ditches, whereas a relationship helps to keep us in between, right? Because if I drift into legalism, now my faith is based on what I've done for God. What I've, instead of what I've done, done for God is because of my faith, right? It doesn't change what's being done, but it changes the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got hyper grace on the other side, which means I just need to accept Jesus. Mm-hmm. I need to say a sinner's prayer. I need to do these things to get right with God. And then I'm good. Then I'm good to go. I can just walk this path, right? And we end up in the ditch on the other side, right? We're not really going anywhere towards getting closer to God. But we've still gone through the gate. And the reality is that where you go off of the road, you stay there until you get back on the road. Now, there's Christian people from all over the world, all walks of life, every denomination of Christianity, mm-hmm. um, Orthodox, you know, all all the way all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, Heinz fifty seven. Right? All the all the way back to the beginning. And so and so all the way back to the beginning, you have people that will walk through the gate and then something will knock them off of the road. Some idea, a false teaching maybe, uh, a whisper from our enemy, 
something will knock them off of the path one way or the other. And usually, it's, like you say, it's kind of that empty religion that leaves us susceptible to that. When there's a relationship, we're not, we're not as likely to get knocked off of the road completely. We'll drift. I'll say that. We'll drift because none of us are perfect. We drift towards one ditch or the other. And sometimes we zigzag across the road a bajillion times before we get to the end. But, but not having that relationship can cause us en- to end up in the ditch and stuck. So as a very long answer to your question. Well, you said it was out of Pilgrim's Progress and he fell into some traps. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But that wasn't his goal. No, it wasn't. No. What was his intention? His intention was to do right, to find that, to find that golden city. That's right. And, and who else was promised a golden city? And he wanted to do right, but he made a few mistakes along the way. Yeah, plenty of people. Oh, well, Abraham in particular. Okay. He was the first person who was given the vision of that city. Mm-hmm. And when he went looking for it, he kind of made a few detours. He did. But yet he still remained faithful. Yep. So can you sometimes make mistakes and still be faithful? Oh, absolutely. Okay. That's absolutely. Good. You know, my experience has been, and I feel bad, I talked to a person yesterday, and um, they were raised in, in, as a child in a particular religion. Right. A Christian religion. Mm-hmm. And that person I was talking to said that they've done everything that's been required of them. Yes. And they didn't see any need to have anything change. Right. Because they've already met their requirements. Right. So it's very hard to talk to a person who thinks that no more needs to be done, that their eternity, their salvation is secure. Right. And yet... I felt bad because I realized that this person is a product of his religion. He's the finished product of his religion. But how many more are like that? There are there are many. And and it's often a misunderstanding of what of what the their particular denomination is attempting to accomplish. I mean, there is that. Um, I know that churches that are very liturgical, that have everything planned out and spelled out for the entire year, the Advent calendar, the Lent calendar, mm-hmm. Pentecost. They including have, the message. Including the message, mm-hmm. right? Or at least the topic of the message mm-hmm. and, and, the, and, and the, the scripture. And the scheduled prayers. Scheduled prayers and scriptures and everything printed and written down. There is, um, there is, there is a tendency to kind of blame that for the apathy that you're talking about, where I've done everything that's required. Um, I know people that are in this building on Sunday morning 
that have a very similar perspective. I've done what I'm required to do. And is that I, ignorance or is that something else? I think in a lot of ways it's ignorance. But I think what it boils down to is a misunderstanding and a leaning towards either legalism or hyper grace. They've gotten stuck. And they think that they have gone, just because I've walked through the door, I'm good. What do you and think? I, and, I will, and I will say, yes, you have walked, if you have walked through that gate. That's good. There's no going back, right? You've walked through the gate and you immediately went off the ditch and now you're stuck there. And until you decide to get unstuck, you're going to be stuck there. You're, you're not going to grow. You're not going to receive any of the blessings. You're not going to see any of the fruit of the decision that you've made. And there are consequences in this life for that. But as long as they've gone through the gate, they've gone through the gate. I do believe that. Um, How do you convince a person who's just ignorant that there's something beyond ignorance? I think... I think the secret to that is asking the right question in the right moment. And for that, I trust the Holy Spirit to work through me because I am never going to be able to convince that person of anything. That's not really, that's not really even my job to try and convince them. My, my responsibility as a fellow Christian is to love that person, to encourage that person, to come alongside of that person and pray for that person. And eventually, that person will decide that they don't want to be stuck in the ditch anymore. I was talking with a couple last week who were at our home. Okay. And we were talking about the word deception. Yep. What words do you think from deception surround that word? There's words that surround, that would describe deception not only in what it is, but how it operates. What do you think deception is? Well, I generally look at deception as being... A partial truth that's wrapped in a lie. That's right. And what do a lot of people believe in? Partial truth that's wrapped in a lie. That's right. And, but the problem is, is they've fallen into the trap of deception. Okay. And the hard thing is, is just to convince a person that they don't have the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, in my my role, the way I understand the way I understand the gospel and what Jesus tells us is that our role isn't to convince that person. Our role isn't even necessarily to point out how they're wrong, but rather to love them and encourage them and pray for them and trust that God and his spirit inside of them will move. 
And we've talked about this before. I don't know if we recorded it or not. We talked about it before. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. That's right. And even though I've accepted Christ, and even though I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, he's still a gentleman. And if I tell him to go sit quietly in his corner, he's going to do that. Mm -hmm. There are times when from that corner, he will speak up and he will try to speak into my life, but he is not going to take over. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, without my consent, is not going to operate my body like some sort of mechanical being. You know, he's, he's not in there pushing buttons and pulling levers like you might see in a cartoon or something. That's not what he's doing. He is working in me and through me, at least not without my consent. If I give him consent to go ahead and push the buttons and pull the levers, he can do that. But if I don't let him do that, I can lock him out of that system. I like something that's very simple. Okay. Jesus himself. Yep. I am the way. Mm -hmm. I am the truth. Yep. I am the life. Right. It's that simple. It is that simple. But, but unfortunately, deception has complicated it. Right. Okay. Because all Jesus says is one simple thing. Do you believe? Right. Do you believe? And a lot of people think they believe, but they're not exactly sure if they believe. They believe who he is, but they do they believe in him? Right. Okay. And now, right, because the demons believe, the demons know who he is. They right. don't even believe. They know who he is, and mm -hmm. they shudder, but because they don't have, they don't have faith in him, they don't trust him, they've put themselves over him in their own minds, they no longer have a place with God. You know, a lot of religions have a place for confession and repentance. Yes. But if you don't have confession and repentance in Jesus Christ, you have an empty confession and you really have no repentance. Right. Right. And a lot of those other religions also have a confession, a repentance, and a, task. And a cost. And a task. And a cost. Right. A, a, a task, a job, something that you uh -huh. have to do in order to... Yeah, you pay the price that's already been paid. Right. Right. And that's, again, back into that legalism. So, right. Well, let's talk about how Job ends up, because everybody wants to know, how does Job end up? How's well, the, what's the end of the story? The end of the story, and this is... Um, you know, Job, the sacrifice has been made. Job's prayed for his friends. God has promised nothing at nope, this point. Nothing. No deals. And Job, because his heart is right, because he's repented, because he's faithful, because he's true, because he's righteous, because God loves him, and probably also to, you know, kind of kind of put it to the devil a little bit, right? God blesses Job with double what he had before. He gives him 10 more children. He gives him... He all, replaced all, everything that he replaced, lost. Replaces everything that he lost by double. And so that's... 
That's a pretty amazing blessing. Is, did you notice what, what, where the seed came from to do that? It's in the book. Look at where the seed came from to do that. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Keep reading. Then his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought a gift of money and a gold ring. There's your seed. Yep. And what, and what do you think compelled them to do that? Well, if something like that were to happen today, I would say the Holy Spirit. I would like to say that there was a remarkable change in Job himself. I would like to say that he basically showed the presence of God in his life. He might have. I would like to think that his boils were no more. Well, if he's been restored, I would certainly think that his health right. has been restored as well. And I would like to think that the reason that all of these people that have been absent up to now, the reason they came around him again is because they recognized that the Spirit of God was on him and the blessings of God were not necessarily commanded by them to give to him, but something had to have compelled them to give what they gave to Job so Job could get started again. Right. Something had to do that. And, you know, I keep wondering what that something is. Where does the spirit of generosity come from? In their case, I have absolutely, I, I have no definitive way to say. Neither do I, but you know I what? No I'd, like, I'd like to think that God had something to do with that. Yep. Yep. Because whose gold was it? It was all God's anyways. It's all God's gold. It's all he, God's gold. He just basically, how can you say, impressed upon these people that they needed to help old Job. Yep. And you know what? What's God that? is helping you and I today. Oh yes, He okay? is. It is not what it's not what we produce. Okay. Right. It's really what God gives us in the way that He chooses to give us. Correct. Correct. All right, Steve. What else about Job do we need to discuss before we close the book? We lock it up and we, no, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. We'll come back and talk about it whenever God tells us. To. I would like I would like to mention that the earliest mention in the Bible, okay, okay, that women had any worth, was the fact that Job, with his three daughters, mm -hmm. at, at this point in time, he actually gave them inheritances as well as giving him giving it to his sons. Right. I, I was curious in reading the passage that none of his sons, which is unusual, 
is mentioned. Right, his sons are not named. We but, don't know them, but, but he names daughters the daughters, are. okay? Yep. Now, the daughters, he names them. In Middle Eastern culture, usually you name your children with a name that has a meaning of either what you think you'd like to have them become, okay, or what God tells you to name them because that's who he sees them as. Right. Okay. A little bit of trivia here. Uh-huh. Okay. You have it on your paper. Right. The trivia is Jamina means dove. Turtle dove. I looked it up too. Okay. Yep. And do you know what the meaning of that is? The spiritual meaning of that? Well, the dove is a reference to the Noah and the ark. and Right. The dove is the spirit of God, but yep. it also represents salvation and peace. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next daughter, her name is Kazia. Yep. Which means she had red hair or cinnamon hair. One with cinnamon hair. Right. Okay. Because it would have been... Uh, the name itself is derived from the plant, the mm -hmm. name of the plant that we know as cinnamon. Cinnamon, right. Yep. Now, what that means, if you want to look at the spiritual meaning of that, it means that she is full of life with mercy and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That's what her name means. In the last one, her name is Karen. She's referred to as the one with dark eyes. Don't know if they're brown, don't know if black, but dark eyes, I, yes. I, lo I looked that up. Okay. And that's actually kind of what sparked me looking it up, because when I got your your thing, I'm like, okay, Jamina, Dove, I got that. Okay, Kazia, Cinnamon, Hair, okay, I got that one too. Karen, Dark Eyes. What does that mean? You tell me what you found out. I'll tell you what I got. All right. Um, what I found and, oh, I... I don't think I still have it up, but I have Karen Hapak as the name. Karen what? Karen Hapak. H-A-P-P-U-C-H okay. is how it's transliterated in my translation here. Um, which is, um, I forget what the material is called, Horn of Something, and that something was more akin to what we know today as mascara or eyeshadow. So it's not about the actual color of the eyes, but more of like a makeup that would be what put around like? the eye in order to contrast the color of the eye to make the eyes brighter and more appealing. That's what I found. Do you want to know what the spiritual emphasis is? What's the spiritual emphasis? It means that this person is fixed-eyed, focused, mm -hmm. okay? That the, this fixed-eyed person is spiritual, passionate, and optimistic. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So he had quite a team of daughters. Yes, he did. I can see why he left them... Uh... Some of the inheritance. He well, split, he split what, the inheritance what, with the girls as well as the, the boys. What, what does the Bible credit also about his daughters? They were lovely. 
no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. That's right. Yep. Well. And that's also in their names because the dove and cinnamon and the dark eyes are, would be physical indicators of physical beauty as well within the name, as well as the spiritual meanings behind. So there's a little bit of trivia tied to one of the girl's names. Okay. The girl named Kazia. Yep. The one with the red hair. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there is a tribe of Jews with 30%? It's the highest percentage of people, okay, within the Jewish race that has red hair. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. and they're classified as Anastasi Jews. Okay. And even today, one out of every four Anastasis has red hair. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the significance of why God would have. Most Jews are equated with having dark hair. Right. Okay. But this particular group is noted for having red hair. Mm -hmm. There is one other group of people that have a very unique particular aspect to their hair. And it's a different tribe. Do you know what that tribe is? I don't. It's the Levitical tribe. Interesting. Because the Levitical tribe, how they could identify a true Levite from a non-true Levite, okay, is by his type of hair. Interesting. And even today, if you look at people, even though the Levitical tribe is technically lost, Mm -hmm. you can spot a person who has Levitical lineage by the curls that he has on his sideburns. Interesting. Only the Levites have that, and that and that's their mark. Very interesting. Uh-huh. So, God has a way of identifying, even today. Yes, he does. Right. And how are you identified? I don't know. Redeemed by, by my Redeemed name. Redeemed as a okay. child of God. I'm identified through Christ. Right. I get you where I'm you're going. I get where that, you're going to that. That's right. how we're identified, okay? Because literally, instead of us carrying a cross, okay, the cross is inside of us. Right. Right. We're covered we're covered by the blood. And mm-hmm. so all right. I think our discussion of Job is, at least for today, exhausted. Um, Do you have any idea what we might be talking about next week? Yes, I do. All right. We're going to be talking about God's love for us Mm -hmm. and our love towards God. I like that thought. And what we're going to do is, is that we're going to not have a formal class after this week. Because okay. we're moving the class to what's called table talk in the cafe. All right. And I'll be doing a brief devotional. Mm-hmm. And that is actually printed and ready to go other than proofed. Okay. And we'll be doing that next week. We can do that for our podcast. Right. So if people have an interest of coming to our table and uh, sharing coffee or drinks with us, they can also share the word. All right. Sounds great. So 
So that sounds like coffee with the uh, podcast co-host. Right. After church on Sunday. Right. It's called Table Talk. All right. Because of our, su- our summer Sunday schedule is changing. Yes, it is. Right. However, there are people who will linger for a cup of coffee. Yep. And if they want to have a discussion or a dialogue, there'll be plenty of people at the table, or maybe two, Yep. or maybe three, and we can have that dialogue together. All right. So think about this okay. for the next two weeks. How do you know God loves you? Great question. And how do you say thank you once you know? It's a great question. It's a great question. Everybody be thinking about it. Well, thank you very much for joining us, everybody. And thank you, Steve, for You're coming in. You're welcome. It's been fun. It's always fun. Thank you very much. <laughs>